0: My name is David. I'm the pastor here. Glad y'all are with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll put a pen in Revelation until January. Do you want to um, also invite you tomorrow or Wednesday to our family dinner, Stonebridge is your home church. We'd love to see you here, either on Monday night or Wednesday night. If it's all the same to you, Wednesday be better. We're pretty crowded on Monday. But if that's the only day you can do, then by all means... Uh, We're going to give you a bit of a timeline on this building, the move, uh, give you an update on the finances, and hopefully set the parameters for the next few months for us as a church. So we'd love to see you either Monday or Wednesday. And how about this for a bonus for coming out at 1130? We have to move all these chairs, so after the service, you can grab a chair and stack it would be wonderful for us. Everybody doesn't have to. But if a few of you would stay around for a couple of minutes, we can knock it out. Otherwise, and this will make you feel bad, Kim has to do it all by herself. (laughs) I'm not joking. She has to do it all by herself. All right. Advent. Four weeks leading up to Christmas where we prepare for the arrival of Jesus. There's a past element. We look back. Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger, the nativity, we look forward to the second coming of Jesus when he returns. We're going to, again, we'll wait on that till January when we get back into Revelation. But there's also a present arrival or a present coming of Jesus that we often miss. And we miss particularly in December because it's such a busy month. It's a blur for so many. For some of you, you're already counting down the days, not until Christmas, but until the 26th when you can be done. Because it wears you out. And we can miss... What Jesus that Jesus is coming to us again? Kim mentioned there's lots of cultural cues that prepare us for Santa coming to town. There's not very many that prepare our hearts for Jesus coming to us and making Himself known. For some of us, like the best we can do is we can put the nativity up, and that can maybe serve as a bit of a reminder. But we look back in order to prepare our hearts both for the present and the future. So our hope is over the next month we would do that. We're going to talk about some gifts, we'll call them, that Jesus brings to us. We're not going to be able to fully exhaust any of the things that we're sharing. But the hope is that uh, we'll share a few things that will spur you and stir you and maybe help frame this month for you in a little bit of a different way and hopefully awaken you a bit to the reality that Jesus wants to be present to you. He wants to come to you today through the person of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about hope, huge concept in the New Testament. Again, we're not going to be able to dig into all of it. But there's a recognition, I think, for all of us that we're living in a time, mental health professionals say there's an epidemic of hopelessness in this, world, this country that we live in. And it's coming at a time of unprecedented financial growth, and wealth. So it's not just that people are struggling to get by. Many people are doing better than they've ever done materially, and yet all of the stats that indicate mental health and wholeness are trending in the wrong direction. For decades, the suicide rate was dropping, and it has now reversed and it's begun to climb. And you see this the quote there from that writer from the Washington Post. The, this, the suicide rate's climbing across every demographic. And remember and recognize the suicide rate is it's really in some ways it's just the tip of the iceberg. The number of people who attempt suicide is greater than the number of people who are successful. And the number of people who have suicidal thoughts is greater than the number of people who attempt suicide. And the number of people who struggle with depression and severe depression is greater than the number of people who have suicidal thoughts. It really is just the tip of the iceberg. Elementary school kids, and this may be true for you in your own home, elementary school kids are struggling with depression. I'm 44. That wasn't anywhere on the radar screen when we were in elementary school. College kids, I, I mean, when I, would, when I think of college, I think of... You think of passion, you think of optimism, positivity. Over half of college kids' surveys say they've wrestled with hopelessness in the last 12 months. And for some of you, this hits very close to home. It literally hits in your home. And my desire today is is that you would hear a word of hope and encouragement. And if you can't remember anything else, you can remember this. If you're following Jesus, your hope for the future is based on the fact that no word from God ever fails. Your hope for the future is based on the fact that no word from God ever fails. You've heard this story before. Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named David, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will, be a, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So uh, again, this idea of hope... It can be a bit of a tricky word for us because I'm just going to call it common hope. I couldn't think of a better word or better phrase. There's a common hope, the way we use the word, kind of an everyday usage of hope. And then there's New Testament hope. And there's some similarities, but there's a fundamental difference that makes a huge, it's a a large distinction between the two. But it can be subtle. So uh, the way we use hope, In everyday language, I'll use it during this talk. I'll slip into it for sure. It's an expectation or a feeling about a future outcome, a preferred outcome, something that we want. New Testament hope, a confident expectation of a better future. They're both future-oriented. They both have to do with uh, a desire, a a desired outcome, but that's kind of where, where they begin to diverge. The difference is in the level of certainty, kind of common hope everyday hope it's it's wobbly i don't know a better word shaky you don't want to you can't bank on it you can't count on it the reason we actually use the word hope is because we don't know for certain whether something's going to happen if we know for certain then we don't say we hope we say we know very different from the new testament understanding of hope which is a confident expectation for a better future, it's stable and it's solid, and you can put your weight on it. You can count on it. In some ways, you could even say it's a certainty, although it's in the future. When I think of everyday hope, to me, at, at, on one, it, 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 some, sometimes it, it's just wishful thinking. There's, there's nothing solid there, it's rabbit's foot and crossing our fingers and hoping everything breaks the right way. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope Georgia beats LSU. I hope I pass the test. I hope I get a raise. That's how we use the word new testament, confident expectation of a better future, much more solid and stable and secure. What where is that difference rooted in? Common hope, everyday hope. That's rooted there's lots of variables. And our hope is rooted in our ability to control a sufficient number of those variables to a sufficient degree to achieve the outcome that we want. It's all based on how well we can kind of work the system. I hope it doesn't rain. I have zero control over that, none. I hope Georgia beats LSU. I have zero control over that, unless I know a guy who knows a guy who can take out Joe Burroughs. I don't know, it's not gonna happen. Kirby Smart's not calling me. He's not asking me for any advice. I hope I pass the test. Well, I can study. I can take the mock exam. I can go to the professor's office hours. I can do my part, but I don't have any control over the questions that are on the test or the mood of the man or woman when he or she grades it. I want. I hope I get a raise. I can work really hard. I can do my part to be profitable. I can make a good case to my boss and present it in a, what I think is a compelling way. I don't have any control over the bigger economic picture in our area or even the larger profitability of our country, our, our company, or or what's going on in the mind of my manager or his boss or her boss or their boss all the way up the food chain. Again, there's, there's some level of influence that I can have in some of those situations. I mean, it's not, I'm not confident. I say, I hope. Which is not the way the New Testament uses that word at all. The New Testament uses that word to say, you can be confident about the future because you trust God's character as it's been revealed in the past. The Bible is a record of God's faithfulness to his people and to his promises. And by looking back, you can have confidence to move forward. That's what the New Testament says. By looking back, looking back 2,000 years ago at that first Christmas, Jesus in a manger, the nativity scenes that we'll see all around our city and county, that reminds us that God remembers his people And he remembers his promises. And he can be trusted moving forward. Throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, a word that you'll see often is the word remember. There were multiple times in Israel's life where they got scared. They were a very small nation. They had a very small army. And they were surrounded by different superpowers. If you read through the Old Testament, there are these different dominant players. Israel is never it. It's Egypt, it's Assyria, it's Babylon, it's never Egypt, it's never Israel, and they're constantly surrounded by these superpowers. They have land that's desirable. And so they're scared a lot. And sometimes they try to make alliances with other nations, which is never a good idea for them. Sometimes they start chasing after other gods, which is not a good idea for them. They get nervous, and when they get nervous, God sends a prophet to say, "Remember, Remember what I've done in the past, Psalm 105.5. Remember the wonders of the Lord. Remember, and what they're almost always referring to is Exodus, this great deliverance. You have a nation of over a million people who've been enslaved for generations to the superpower of the day, Egypt. And God's brilliant idea is to send a a, a stuttering, reluctant leader with a stick and say, you, you're going to be the guy. You're going to lead them out of slavery. Find that story anywhere else in history. And God does it through Moses. Stuttering, reluctant leader with a stick in his hand. And this nation of a million plus people is delivered from slavery. And God says, remember that. You're nervous right now. You're scared. You're looking around at the other armies, at the other nations. Remember what I did in the past. And that will inform you for the future you can have a confident expectation of a better future because you can look to the past and see I never forget my people. And I never forget my promises. No word from me will ever fail. Psalm 105.5 says, remember the wonders of the Lord. Psalm 105.8 says, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. We can remember the wonders of the Lord because the Lord remembers us and the promise he's made to us. And Christmas is a remembrance for us. The exodus doesn't move most of us. We don't, most of us don't have Jewish roots. It's not a, we know it's a good story. It's a true story. It's part of our story, but we don't necessarily get moved by that. Christmas is a little bit different for us. That does move us in a way that maybe the exodus doesn't. And so I think what God would say to you today, if you find yourself maybe careening towards hopelessness, maybe you're struggling a bit with depression. Maybe you've wondered, would they be better off without me? Maybe I'm just a burden. Would anybody even miss me if I was gone? Maybe you're moving in that direction. And what God would say to you is remember. Remember what I did. Remember that nativity, it's not just a pretty statuette, it represents reality of me remembering my people and remembering my promise and acting on it. When I was in college, there was a book, it was called More Than a Carpenter by a guy named Josh McDowell. He was an apologist and an evangelist. And we thought, hey, we can argue people into a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't work. But this book, he gave you lots of arguments. And one of them, he quoted a guy named Peter Stoner, who was a mathematician in the 40s in California. And what Peter Stoner and his class did was they said, hey, let's figure out what are the chances that someone would randomly fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, depending on how you count. 48 for sure. And they said, let's just take eight, kind of a random sampling. You can see some of the prophecies up there. Some of those are easy. Born of a woman, we're all in. Born of a virgin, that narrows the field a little bit. Some of them are things Jesus could do, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Anybody can do that. Give me a donkey. I can fulfill the prophecy. Having people gamble for his clothes, not so much. And so anyway, Stoner and his class, they take eight prophecies from Jesus' birth and his life and his death. And they say, what are the chances that someone would randomly fulfill those? And they they do some probabilities and some calculations and they err on the conservative side. And the number they come up with, 1 in 10 to the 17th power. So that's a one with 17 zeros. I think it's a million billion. I think that's the way you say that. It's a huge number. Like we, It's huge. And nobody gets it. And so he said, here's your visual. So if you had one in 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, the silver dollars is just a little bit bigger than a quarter. We'll say, it's a, we'll say it's a million billion. I may be wrong about that. If you've got a million billion silver dollars, well, that would fill up the state of Texas two feet deep. And then you take one of those silver dollars and you get a sharpie and you make a smiley face on it. And then you throw it in there and you mix up Texas. You stir the whole state up. Then you put a blindfold on a guy. And you say you go. When you walk as far as you want, you walk for days through the state of Texas. And then when you're ready, you reach down with your right hand and you pull up a silver dollar. And the chances that you pull up the one with my sharpie smiley face on it. That's one in 10 to the 17th. That's one in a... Million billion—that's the chances that some random guy fulfills eight prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled forty-eight major prophecies. One in ten to the one hundred fifty-seventh power. Nobody knows. That's not even a real number. It's so big. And Jesus fulfills fulfills more than three hundred. Some of them are easy. Born of a woman—we all got it. Born of a virgin—not so much. About his birthplace the way he would live, the way he would teach, the way he would die, the way people in his life would respond to him. It's amazing. It's just math. You don't have to worry about it. But you can remember this. One in a hundred million billion. God doesn't forget his people, and he doesn't forget his promise. For hundreds of years, he'd been telling his people, I'm going to send somebody to fix it. I'm going to send somebody to fix it. I'm going to send somebody to make it right. And his people are wondering. And they're scared. And they're confused. And they're frustrated. And they're faithless. They're moments of renewal and passion and zeal. In the midst of all of that swirl of being human. One in a hundred billion. Here comes Jesus 2,000 years ago. Born to this woman, Mary. Because God never forgets his people. He never forgets his promise. No word from him is ever going to fail. He did that. How much more so can he rescue you from careening into hopelessness today? We get tripped up on timing, and it's real. I can't make it go away. I wish I could. We get really, the, the timing thing throws us off. Paul says in Romans 8, we don't hope for anything that we already have. If we have it, we don't hope. We're, we're, we're hoping for the future. By definition, hope is future-oriented. So these are things that we don't yet have. And yet, we also recognize that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there's this, we have this tension between hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm hoping for something I don't have. Paul says that if I hope in Jesus, I won't be disappointed or I won't be put to shame. I won't be ashamed. And for some of us, that's one of the things that gets us with hope. We don't want to look stupid. And Paul says you won't if you hope in him. And it creates this tension for us. And it's hard to know how to live in that. What happens for many of us is we got disappointed at some point along the way. And we shifted from New Testament hope The kind of everyday common hope. We went from confident expectation more to wishful thinking. And for some of you, it was around Christmas. I remember when I asked for laser tag. You all remember that? And I got photon tag instead. Disappointment. (laughs) Photon tag. You've got one. And yours is real. And what our tendency is in that moment is we begin to shield our hearts. We don't want to be disappointed again. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want to look foolish. And so we start hedging our bets and we move from confident expectation to wishful thinking. We've got to remember your hope. This is your hope, if you're wondering. It's for your own resurrection. That's, what, that's your hope. It's that you are going to be bodily raised from the dead, given a new body, and you're going to live on a new earth with a new heaven. That's the future for us. That's our ultimate hope. And it won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. Even your death won't fully realize that hope. It's not until Jesus returns that we're resurrected. And that's what we're living for, in a sense. That is our hope. And that doesn't, again, that that won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. And so we live in this, again, this tension of being uh, having a confident expectation of a better future, knowing that better future is definitely future, and it won't be fully realized until Jesus returns, but also recognizing that we can experience that to a degree. Now, you just had a bunch of food at Thanksgiving. For some of you, maybe this is helpful. Do you see this life as the main course and the next life as dessert? Or do you see this life as an appetizer and the next life as the main course? That's the New Testament view of time. This life is important 100%. But it's preliminary and it's preparatory. It's an appetizer. It's getting us ready for the extended, the eternal, new heaven, new earth, new body. That's our hope. And again, that's, that doesn't, it won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. And yet we can experience a degree, a measure, a taste of that now. And that's what creates the tension in us. We have a confident expectation of a better future. A better future that we know won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. But we can experience some of the better future now. And the only way to experience, is, to experience it now is to ask God to get involved. And then we risk being disappointed. And becoming heartsick because of it. That's why Paul says we wait patiently. That word patiently we've been looking at in Revelation with perseverance, remember the word, to bear up well under difficulty. We wait bearing up well under the difficulty of living in the tension between now and not yet. We wait bearing up well under the difficulty of confusion and frustration and even disappointment when we don't get what we want when we want it. We bear up well under the, the unknown mysterious nature of when God chooses to act and how He chooses to act. We don't shrink back. We don't shift from confident expectation to wishful thinking. We don't pull back and just see, I'm only going to, quote, hope for the things that I can manage and that I can contrive and that I can engineer. I'm going to have a confident expectation for a better future that's not rooted in technology or my Resources or my ingenuity I'm going to have a confident expectation of a better future that's rooted in God's character that's been clearly revealed through the Bible thousands of years of his word never failing and that's going to propel me to say it's not going to fail now I may not see the full realization this side of heaven but I'm going to see it here's how I want you to respond two ways one If you're sitting on the inside aisle, there's a basket underneath your chair. And I want you to grab that basket and take a gift tag. And on that gift tag, I want you to write, what do you want from God for Christmas? Everybody's got to participate. This may be your only time at Stonebridge. I don't care. Write your name on the tag. Write something on the tag. Not your name. Just what you want. Where do you need a better future? A relationship. Maybe there's a loved one who's far from Jesus. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's direction for your future in your family, finances. Where do you need a better future? Write that on the card. And when you leave, you can throw the card in that, uh, those baskets hanging on the walls. We're going to pray for these. Our children are doing this, our students are doing this, and our adults. And we're going to pray for these every Tuesday in December. So if that's your thing, if you like praying for other people, come from 7 to 7.30 on Tuesday mornings. We're going to pray through all the cards. And we're going to do that for the next four weeks. And we're going to trust that God will... Answer that he will work. And for some of you, you're writing with a shaky hand because you wonder, am I really willing to risk that again or risk that disappointment? I want to encourage you wait perseveringly, wait bearing up well under the potential disappointment. Look back that first Christmas, he's one in a million billion. God never forgets his people. He never forgets his promises. He remembers you. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I know he said he never leaves and he never forsakes. So I know he's going to be with you no matter what. Write down what you need. And let's trust him to move and to respond. The second thing is we want to pray. Again, if you were honest this morning and you were saying, I feel like I may be. I'm prone to that hopelessness. I'm not maybe all the way in that ditch, but I can move in that direction. Let us pray for you. How do you know? I would say one indicator is if you're drinking by yourself, maybe you're waiting until your family goes to sleep, that's not good. You're, you're trying to numb something through that act. It's not helpful. Let that be a wake-up call. Let's ask the Lord to restore and renew your hope. Maybe this is a good way of saying it. Hebrews 6 says, Our hope is an anchor for our souls. And some of you may feel anchorless right now. Again, maybe that idea of kind of careening down the road and you don't know, but you're wondering, can I wind up in that ditch? We want to pray for God to re-anchor you this morning. For some of you, December is difficult And maybe this December will be particularly difficult. Let's pray before it gets cranked up that God would anchor you. Hebrew says that anchor goes into the holy of holies. It's in the very presence of God. And that's where we want to pray that your hope would be deeply rooted in God's character as revealed in the Bible. That you would know as sure as you know your name that he's with you. That you're not doing any of this on your own. And I do believe there's maybe two or three of you who have seriously considered hurting yourself. Please. Let us pray for you. It's not You don't have to battle that on your own. We want to pray that God would renew your hope there are resources that are available to help you ongoing. But don't believe the lie that you're a burden, that nobody cares, that they're better off without you. Let's pray.